Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. (laughs) Thank you, Ryan Treasure. Bonnie D. in the house. If you've noticed, if you're watching us on LinkedIn or Facebook, you'll notice that I don't have my Technology Revolution banner behind me because in the spirit of this is part two of the future of everything automotive and AI, I asked Night Cafe Studio, which I use to generate AI art, for a futuristic pink car yes we know the barbie movie is out a futuristic pink car for jane jetson assuming she liked pink jane if you don't know is the fictional wife of the fictional george jetson of the jetsons and they had flying cars and everything up there in in space in the air many 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 decades ago so i will change back to the banner later but i thought that was fun so i've invited back my four I call you just really savvy, turbo-driven, Tom Madonna, you like that? Turbo-driven futurists. I, it took me a while to come up with that one for part two. And instead of doing my usual asking chat GPT about what's the future of automotive, we're going to talk about all the good stuff. I decided to just read five fictional movie quotes about cars, and then we'll dive right in. I'm going to ask my four esteemed panelists to please just introduce yourself briefly around the table and people... I'm guessing Tom and Kelly and James and Jeremy, I'm guessing there were maybe 22.3 people in the world who didn't hear you on that show in June. It was just a few weeks ago. So you'll talk to those 22 point whatever people and just shame on them. So here are my five movie quotes. I have one from Frank Martin played by Jason Statham and the transporter back to 2002. It's not about the car you drive. It's about the driver. Now, think self-driving cars. Uh Uh-oh. Now, here's a quote from Brian O'Connor, played by Paul Walker, Too Fast, Too Furious, the following year, 2003. What's the point of having a car if you're not going to drive it? Well, looks like we know what my theme is today. Then I have a quote from Lightning McQueen, voiced by Owen Wilson. The movie, of course, was Cars. We're moving up to 2006. Cars are just machines. They don't have a heart. Well, remains to be seen. If a pink car was driven by Jane Jetson, I'm guessing somebody in there had a, had a heart. Then we have a quote from Tony Stark, played by, of course, Robert Downey Jr. in Iron Man 2008. Why do you need to control everything? Let the car do the work. Well, wow, didn't he know something back then? And finally, I have a quote from James Bond in the Daniel Craig era. The movie was Casino Royale 2006. There's a special bond between a man and his car. Did I do that well, Tom? Was that mm-hmm. a good? Not, not, not bad for Daniel Craig. So we're asking Tom Madonna. Just wave when I call your name. Tom Madonna is back. Kelly Lindsay is back. James Cho is back. Jeremy Byrne is back. There, you, Jeremy, you're in a field with something growing behind you, and we're asking them about the future of everything automotive and AI. What would Jane Jetson? say there we go welcome 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 happy to be here i'll change the background in a minute but i just thought it was so much fun to do something a little different tom madonna talk to those 22 point something people tell them what you've been up to in the past eight weeks not much time tom welcome back talk to me thanks bonnie well uh, appreciate being uh, on again um last uh eight weeks has been uh, a fun-filled uh summer actually uh playing with the grandkids, uh, getting ready for, for, for vacation, but on the business side, 
uh, we've uh, finished uh, second quarter and uh, started third. And, you know, with the way that the money runs, uh, third quarter and fourth quarter are, are the show me show me quarters. So uh, we're we're ramping up speed. Anything new in the car field for you, Tom? Any new perspectives? Uh, yeah, I think at this point in time, uh, starting to look for the first uh, electronic uh, EV. Uh, have had one on order for 14 months and haven't got a uh, VIN number. So I might be looking for uh, another model. We'll see. 14 months. Is that a, what's called average or normal wait time now, Tom? Or well, is it's that... interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because um, if you look at uh, the domestics, their average uh, vehicle on lot right now is somewhere between 170 and 180 days compared to a, a an ICE engine being on the lot for about 45. So it's interesting is that though everything was uh, – really wanting to be out there, wanting to be sold, wanting to you know be driving the EVs. This year, that thing has changed. And obviously with the lower gas prices, that's helped. But in general, um, this particular one I ordered is a import and uh, is only made uh, in Europe. So uh, it's a mod- model number with, you know, get it, put it on the boat, get it back over compared to uh, driving down and, and let's say picking up a Lightning. Thank you very much. Good to know. We'll all be interested. We'll have to have you back when you get the new car, Tom. We want to know about that. Okay, it's a date. Let's go around the table. Kelly, Lindsay, Kelly, tell everybody what is that fabulous picture behind you in case they don't know. I'm putting you on speaker view. Kelly, tell us what you've been up to, please. So I'm sitting here in Menlo Park, California. Last time I was at home in Detroit. So I'm at our uh, corporate offices and that's Speed Racer in our boardroom behind me. Um This summer, it's been um, nice because we had no fly July. We went to a lot of industry events, I'd say the first half of the year here in the US and Europe, um, and then hunkered down and and really worked with our corporate investors and and, and looking at our deal flow of new startups. So the things that I'd say that we've been seeing are, um, you know, we've done a lot of um, recent investments around electrification of vehicles, but more on the aftermarket and retail, thinking about what happens after the car gets sold? How does it get serviced? And um, you know, um, what's the value of it? What happens in the secondary market? What happens with the batteries and the recycling and things like that? And our deal flow is also blowing up in the space of logistics and supply chain and 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 the moving of goods, uh, you know, around around the country. And Kelly, you're still director of strategic partnerships with Autotech Ventures, correct? That is correct. Just want to make sure everybody knows who you are. We love that background. I put I put my technology revolution banner behind me just so somebody know who is that person? Who is that redhead? What's she talking about? Yeah, I'll go back to some car pictures later. Let's go around the table. One more seat. We've got James Cho. So happy to have you back, James. What have you been up to and any changes in perspective on cars, either your own or the industry? Talk to me. That's that's a that's a great ask, actually, next to Tom. You know, I've been teaching my oldest son how to drive, trying to get his driver's license. So the technologies that are built into the current cars that I have, obviously are tremendous benefits that I'm seeing, right? From a crash avoidance to lane, um, lane assist, et cetera. So one of the features that I'm looking at, Tom, possibly is looking at a electric vehicle for either my son or for myself or both. Uh, as a trade-in for the current vehicles that we have. So it's been a fun time to figure out going back into the eyeballs of, you know, somebody who was recently was starting to learn how to drive, figuring out some of the features and functions from a user, functional capabilities. And I think 
overall, it's just been a, uh, I guess, you know, an insightful situation for me for the last few weeks. Very, very interesting. Uh, I want to ask you a question, James. I've heard recently in the past couple of years that a prediction that the younger generation, I don't know how old your son is, will not need to learn to drive. They will not have driver's licenses other than for a real ID in the U.S. because they'll be part of the sharing economy and they will, ha will have self-driving cars and we have Uber and Lyft and all those good services and they simply will not be driving in the future. Any thoughts on that from the perspective of your family, James? You know, from uh, my health perspective and my just mental capabilities when I'm test driving, you know, driving with him, I, I uh, welcome that, <laughs> okay, because <laughs> there were quite a few near misses that I think uh, just got my heart pumping a little faster than I like. So I think overall, though, that is the exciting part that also gets it into where my, my father, who's older and, and aging out of, let's say, being able to drive, but at the same time, a topic that we discussed earlier of continuing to be enabled being active in the community, going around and just really taking on, on and um, uh, with the you know participation in the real world, et cetera, is going to be another component. But going back to the okay. whole piece of that, I, I truly do believe that we are moving towards that closer and closer, and uh, there will be pros and pros and cons with that. Can I ask how old your dad is? Yes, he's actually uh, eighty-five now. That's such a young age. My mom passed at 100, and when she heard that people had died in their late 80s and early 90s, she just said two words, too young. That was her philosophy, too young. She didn't like seeing people on walkers, but eventually she had, had one to help her get around, and she just said, no, 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 just way too young. Her, her best friend Gertrude lived to 104. Gertrude couldn't remember too much, but she was still beautiful and still doing what she was doing. And uh, she would say to me, where are you going on vacation this year, Bonnie? And I'd tell her, and then five minutes later, she'd say, you know the answer to that. But she was lovely, 104. Uh, people are living way, way, way older. So your dad's still driving, James? He is. And we're a little bit concerned about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wait till he gets to 95. My mom decided to give up her car at 96. And wow. yeah, we did a test drive together. And I said, what do you think? And she said, I'll sell it tomorrow. And that was the end of that. So there we go. The car was in still, still in pretty good shape. Let's go around the table. Thank you, James, for that family update. We all appreciated that. More than you know, it's perfect for our topic. Jeremy Byrne is back. Jeremy, what have you been up to? Let's get some stories from you. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. Uh, so one of the interesting things that happened since the last time I was on was uh, I was down in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, visiting with some motorsport teams. As you may recall, one of my business activities is in the motorsport world. So I had a group of uh, British companies, all of whom work in the motorsport field, and we were visiting, trying to do some business with NASCAR-related teams because that's uh, based there in Charlotte area. But it occurred to me that well, obviously motorsport is interesting because it's also impacted by the future of technology, right? And some of the quotes that you quoted at the beginning from the movie is all about the visceral, what's, you know, what's the point of having a car if you're not going to drive it and a bond with the car and, and racing has always been about that sort of very visceral aspect, right? People looking at more technical aspect. Now there are already, um, you know, electric vehicle racing series, there's even attempts at autonomous racing. Uh, but uh, what is the future of racing and how does it reflect 
what the actual vehicles are that the vehicle manufacturers want to sell, right? So there's a racing and motorsports is an entertainment medium as much as anything else. So how do they maintain relevance? And so I think what the NASCAR, which is uh, for those who are not familiar, is the stock car racing series preeminent in the United States, uh, has relied traditionally on the, the old idea of V8 engines. Uh, it wasn't until to not too recently that they even switched to uh, fuel injection from carburetors, right? So they don't, they're not moving forward or pushing technology, <clears throat> but they will be starting to introduce like uh, before the major races, some electric vehicle demonstrator races with vehicles that are probably compact utility vehicles that are just to see what sort of interest there is out there. So everybody's kind of struggling with well, what is the future and where do we go with it and and the motorsport community is is certainly impacted by this as well certainly very very interesting and i'll just add something from personal experience i won't tell you who but a family member uh, has a lot of medical appointments in different states and for a while was staying in hotels and airbnbs for a week or two at a time pending all kinds of treatments and and uh, tests and they got an rv and hooked it up to their truck and it's a beautiful RV all equipped. And now they're able to go and find a park near wherever the facility is and set up and have a, a nanny cam in it for their two dogs who are very well behaved and will stay on the, the queen size bed for an, a couple of hours just napping there while mommy and daddy go to the doctor instead of hotels, instead of whatever was they were costing them a fortune, they're now able to bring their home away from home with them, trailing it along with their truck. I consider this automotive, Tom, because this is something on wheels that you take someplace and they're able to live in their RV. They can entertain, have friends come and see them and, and have people come for cookouts, whatever they want, go to restaurants if they need to and use that as a home base and then take the RV back to their home and put it away, clean it up and have it for another trip. So that has changed everything about how they travel for medical medical experiences, I'll say. That's probably a very kind word. Anyway, we have seen a lot of changes. I'm so thrilled to have you all back. Let's go to the real quotes here. I've asked Tony, you each. Yes, yes, Tom. We do that, I want to make one comment in regards to something Jeremy said. Yeah, please. I mean that those electric uh, vehicle races go from pit stops to crater stops on recharge. <laughs> What's a crater stop, Tom? What's a crater stop? Or do you have to basically shorten the race? You know, we're only going to do a 100-mile race or a 200-mile race. So. And now they're getting better, actually. The, the, the first electric vehicle, significant electric vehicle racing series, actually, they would run the cars and then they would switch cars halfway through. They would have oh. two cars, right? A bunch of batches run out. Now they can actually run an entire race with just one car. So it, it's it's moving very quickly in terms of you know, power density and uh, ability to actually put on a show. But uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. It's, it's certainly worth watching on YouTube to see how what does an electric race car sound like, and how do, is it the same experience as a combustion engine? And, and you said moving quickly, no. <laughs> moving quickly, pun intended, Jeremy yeah. and Tom. Yes, very, very, very well done. Thank you. Good. I think we're in storytelling mode here. I love this. Let's go to the quotes you've all sent me for part two. We'll do this quickly. So Tom Madonna sent a quote from. 
a song by the American hard rock band Blue Oyster Cult from 1981 on the album Fire of Unknown Origin. This is interesting. The uh, title of the song is Veteran of the Psychic Wars. Tom, I never expected this from you, so this is going to be interesting how you relate it. Uh, the Veteran of a Thousand Psychic Wars is from the Hawkwind song Standing at the Edge from 1975, which also dealt with a myth. I won't go any further than that. Here is the line you've selected. Young enough to look at and far too old to see. Wow, Tom Madonna, this is the most interesting quote you've ever sent me for a show in all these years. What does this have to do with automotive? Go ahead. Well, the, the song itself is is more futuristic. So for those that saw the, the movie Heavy Metal, uh, ultimately that used to be a, a Friday or Saturday night midnight show that we would go to. I think I've seen it 30, you know, 30 or 40 times. But the, the actual quote itself, um, too young to look. This point in time, we're looking at new technology. But yet, how old do we have to actually see what that technology is going to do for us? And, and, and you know, when you start talking about AI in particular, um, you really get this dichotomy of views. You get a dichotomy of views of doom and gloom, Terminator, the execution. And, and really, there's a moral stance there in regards to a social and a moral structure of ethics that have to be applied to it. And then you see all of the advantages to go with it. Those two things are going to be interesting over the next few years in regards to how and where AI is actually used. And so, again, too young not to be looking at it right now, because at this point in time, all of us are, are, are relatively young on the, on, the, on the call. And you go back to my grandfather who passed away at 104, same thing. Um, you know, we took the keys away from him at 94. And uh, at this point in time, it was a 69 Chevy and a 79 Lincoln. And I think the Lincoln had 35,000 miles on him. So long and short, too old at this point in time not to be able to see where we're going to be going, how we're going to be doing it, and uh, understand the execution. And, you know, I know next week we've got another show and we'll be talking about, uh, you know, AI and everything. And uh, I've got some interesting quotes on that one, too. But it's been an interesting process of how we're going to take the application of AI, put it into a particular product, how that product may be used, and then what's the social meaning to that long term. Very well put. I think we just got a primer or a primer on AI being applied to fill in the blank. Thank you. Uh, my mom's car was an Accord, and I think the doorman in her building in, in Lake Success, New York, had been having his eye on buying that car from her for years. So when the day she said, I'm giving up the car, I think she was 96, uh, she called him and he came in. Didn't give us much money, but it was a couple bucks in cash and turned over the title and was it? And I said, thank the Lord. Okay. Interesting story. Kelly Lindsay, let's go to you. You've, you've gone back to the Empire Strikes Back, aka Star Wars episode five. That's Roman numeral V, the Empire Strikes Back 1980 American epic space opera film. I still don't know what a space opera is, but I love the movie. This is quoted the character C3PO played by Anthony Daniels, who is an English actor and a mime artist. I don't know if you knew that, Kelly. I had to look mm -hmm. him up. He played C-3PO in 10 Star Wars films. He's the only actor to have appeared in or have been involved with all theatrical films in the series and the spin-offs, the video games, the radio serials, and the TV. After auditioning for C-3PO, he became interested in seeing a concept design of the golden droid designed by Ralph McQuarrie. He didn't see the final costume until after he put it on for the shoot and they showed him a Polaroid picture. He struggled with delivering the lines until Lucas said they would dub the dialogue in post-direction because he couldn't 
He couldn't say everything in the costume. He couldn't say it well, so they redubbed it. Daniels was not happy with his lack of recognition after the film's success, and he attributes this to Lucasfilm wanted the audiences to believe droids were real. So as an actor, as a human being, they didn't really give him the credit. It was just, look at that really cool gold droid called C-3PO. The heck with the guy who played him. He was actually in the costume. So here is the line Kelly has picked. R2-D2, you know better than to trust a strange computer. That was terrible. Kelly, you want to do a better <laughs> job of that quote, please? <laughs> you want me to do it? <laughs> I didn't do it. Anybody want to do our 2D2? <laughs> I think ahead. he has a British accent. Oh, Jeremy, uh, yes, you want to do yes. it? Uh, I think Jeremy should do it. Uh, <laughs> right, Jeremy's going to pass I, on I this. really don't think you should trust a strange computer. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I like that. Okay, Kelly, you're up. What does this mean for our topic? Uh, it, I, I would like to apply it to so many different things, but I think, um, you know, as we're talking about artificial intelligence and, and people worrying about... Um, you know, generative AI and, and um, the intelligence creating, you know, its own answers, um, especially when we look at technology, there needs to be some guardrails, uh, there needs to be some morality around it. Um, actually, in one of the trade shows I went to, they, there was um, a consortium in Europe that is creating guardrails for making AI sort of moral and within some some structures so that you can kind of get certified AI wise. But um, but yeah, I think uh, trusting AI, I think we've got a ways to go and it's coming and happening fast, but really thinking about the applications and, and making sure that they're robust. Making sure they are. Yes, you and I were having a chat, Kelly, before we started the show about appropriate applications for something like ChatGPT. When it's something that's scholarly or industry-oriented, you really have to fact-check because it's making blank, 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 blank up because its database, its large language model LLM is stopped at November 2021, I believe. And it, it will tell you, if I, I ask it to predict something, it says, I'm limited. I can't tell you anything past fall of 2021. So at least it admits that. But I think it's it's more sentient than people think. It apologizes a lot. And I also notice that it makes a lot of mistakes on something as simple as asking for movie quotes. I will review, Kelly, I will fact check the movie quotes and I'll say, I'll go and I'll look for whoever the character was that ChatGPT told me. And I can't find them probably two out of every eight times. And I'll go back and I'll say to ChatGPT in the next prompt, is this character really? And I get the following, I apologize. I was wrong. It really wasn't in there. But then as a test, I'll put it back in again. Is such and such a character really in this movie? And you know what? It'll come back and say, I apologize again. It really is in that movie. And here's the, here's the quote. And so it backtracks over and over and over. I've I've learned to play games so that we're good friends now, just like me and Alexa. Anyway, thank you very much, Kelly. I appreciate that. James, you're up next. I'm looking at your quote. This is interesting. The movie is, let me see here. The movie is Across the Universe, 2007. It's a jukebox music romantic drama film. I've never heard that kind of conglomeration of genres. Uh, it's directed by Julie Taymor. It has 34 compositions originally written by the Beatles. The script was based on a story by Julie Taymor and two others based on the Lennon-McCartney songs, blah, blah, blah. The character Lucy is played by Evan Rachel Wood. The character speaking to Jude, played by Jim Sturgis. And here is the quote. Lucy, I don't know anything about how Lucy sounds, so you can correct me, James. We're in the middle of a revolution, Jude. 
And what are you doing? Doodles and cartoons. And Jude answers, well, I'm sorry. I'm not the man with the megaphone, but this is what I do. I had to add the whole scene. James, talk to me. What in the world does this mean? I think it just embodies some of the thoughts that I have in my mind. Like with all the changes that are happening and the speed that they're happening, I just feel at times that we can all get lost. And maybe for myself, speaking for myself, but at the same time, as Kelly alluded to, Tom alluded to, and others like yourself, there are a number of guardrails, things that we need to have. I'm not sure who the person is. Is it government? Is it laissez-faire with the commercial side to bring in all of those pieces to give us a boundary condition, a boundary area, is a, is a question mark in my mind. And I just feel at times um, I may be lost, but at the same time, I, I'm, I'm just doing the best I can. And that kind of embodies that sometimes to the to the days I have. So I'll leave it at that. Well, how about for the future of, of automotive? Are we seeing that maybe they're a little bit lost too, James? And we have to wait and see what really happens after the do doodles and cartoons, the drawings, the plans, the experiments. Could we stretch it that far, James? Uh, absolutely. I think there's a huge amount of forward momentum shifting to the left and to the right. So everyone is in that sort of mode, I think, yes. Sounds like a dance move. As long as it's not on the road, that's great. Thank you very much. Jeremy Byrne, you and I had to go back and forth on this quote because it was about cars and we don't put cars, we don't put quotes about cars on shows about cars. It's got to be a stretch. So I took a part of the phrase of the song and, and it's just fine. So Jeremy picked a song by Neil Young, full name Neil Percival Young, O-C-O-M, born, he's a young guy, born in 1945. Everybody knows Canadian and American singer and songwriter. Uh, he moved to LA, joined the folk rock rock group, if anybody remembers Buffalo Springfield, and he was backed by the band Crazy Horse when he went solo. What's interesting here, Jeremy, to me is that in 2008, Neil Young revealed his project, which is the production of a hybrid engine 1959 Lincoln called Link Volt, L-I-N-C-V-O-L-T, one word with a capital V in the middle. A new album loosely based on it, Fork in the Road, was released in 2009, and here is the line from just singing a song you can i'm not going to sing it because i don't even know the melody you can sing about change while you're making your own you can be what you try to say while the big wheel rolls just singing a song won't change the world i like it jeremy talk to us kelly likes it too <laughs> everybody else everybody else not yes yes jeremy we like it right okay jeremy go ahead. cool well yeah i would urge you to listen to the album too it's very good um, and uh, I thought about this because uh, I had the opportunity to to meet Neil when he was in town because some of the work on his Link Vault was done by a local company and it was a big dinner, it was all very nice. Um, but it's interesting, is this is one of the most prolific songwriters of the uh, classic rock era. And uh, he's saying about, well, singing just doesn't change things. You actually have to go and do things yourself, right? You, you, you can make the change yourself. And he's been known for, you know, throwing rocks at the establishment like any good uh, rock and roller would do, right? <laughs> and that, in, in a sense, this is his way of doing it. He's just going out and making a statement that, you know, it, 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 things can change. You can make, you can be the change. And he did it in a, in a great way. He took this really beautiful old car and, and turned it into a hybrid and it, it's got technology in it and everything. I don't, I'm not sure if he has yet packed any AI applications into it, but he's embracing technology. You know, and I think that's a, it, it was a great example of how we can transition into this kind of new future. 
Absolutely. And I, I do appreciate that it was by somebody who is working on the future of cars as well as being a singer-songwriter. So thank you. Thank you all for the quotes. Very, very fun and very interesting. Let's go to our predictions. I asked you each for one or two new predictions for this part two show today. Tom Madonna, I'm going to pick your new prediction number one. This is interesting. Take about three minutes, unpack it. And if anybody around the table wants to comment, agree or disagree with a, a real comment, raise the bar. Just wiggle one of your nice fingers at me and I will see you. You know how this works. So Tom says, hands-free driving. And you put quotes around that. I've got my air quotes, Tom. Hands-free driving, which usually requires AI subscription, will become commonplace within the next five years, similar to cruise control and car play. Wow, from your lips, Mr. Madonna. Go ahead, talk to us. Tom, I think you're muted. I'm you. Sorry about, there sorry you about go. that. It's okay. Uh, yeah, if you, if you think about the way that uh, cruise control has gone from a, rec a luxury to a commonplace alternative uh, option within a vehicle, uh, the uh, hands-free driving is going to do the same. Uh, you saw it in a Tesla, then you've now seen it in the Ford and the Chevy. Um, the AI subscription piece is because they haven't mapped up all the roads. So if you look at uh, Super Cruise, it's about 200 of the internet, of the uh, interstates that are currently applied to uh, Blue Cruise. It's about the same. Tesla uh, is just starting to use LiDAR, et cetera. So as you start to think about these components becoming cheaper and cheaper and the responsibility of car manufacturers to make the vehicle safer and the distracted drivers, the new drivers wanting to, you know, have a little bit of uh, a freedom to do things. I think this is going to become a commonplace option. Um, I think the other thing that's, that's part of this is with AI, the speed of adoption and the speed of these mapping uh, structures are going to become very quick and very uh, more efficient uh, in, in getting that information back out to it. So how the car will take those in, et cetera, will be interesting. I'm part of a, a situation where we uh, have looked at a startup where they're taking uh, traffic cams and they're moving the traffic cam information and then giving it back to the vehicle. So that if you're coming up to a, uh, a traffic stop and uh, you can't see you know, the, 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 the cross street coming up to you or what's happening, you can get an alert from uh, the traffic cam back out to your vehicle to say, hey, there's pedestrian on your right uh, walking to the corner. There's another car coming up. So it allows the vehicle to at least adapt if the, if the driver isn't being able to see that. So this technology is becoming main place. And uh, though it's a, a premium service, a premium feature now, um, it's going to be coming uh, very similar to your airbags, your cruise control, everything else. It's going to become a safety feature, and that safety feature is going to be a requirement. Let it be government-driven or let it be consumer-driven. That feature will become main place. Any comments around the table? I have one. If anybody else wants to think about it. Tom, my question is, what about the emotional, social, physical change management for the people who are driving? Some people still don't trust cruise control. I never liked it. I really don't like it at all. I, I want to know. I want, I have the heart that's driving my car. I, I want to be in control of my car. For, for somebody to actually learn to trust hands-free driving, what is it going to take? Who's going to educate people? Who's going to show them safety films? Who's going to put them into new driver's ed? Tom, any thoughts on that or anybody around the table, the people side of this new opportunity? 
Well, I think the same thing happened with cruise control. There was, there was, you know, if you really think about how cruise control basically got put out there, it was something that you only used on the highway. And, and until adaptive cruise came, you still had to interact with the vehicle to shut the cruise off, to turn it mm-hmm. off versus running into the back of, you know, uh, of the next vehicle in front of you. And, and it took me a while of actually driving a vehicle with adaptive cruise to actually really understand it. And, and I was on a test drive in the middle of uh, uh, North Carolina at one of uh, the uh, premium uh, events for, for automotive. And that was a test driving uh, one of the new vehicles. And this point in time would have been uh, a 2015 uh, vehicle. And uh, they had one of the first adaptive cruises out. So I said, okay, I'm going to try this out. So I'm going 80 miles an hour down. Uh, uh, a winding mountain road and I'm coming up to a, uh, a uh, semi and the car checks it, sees it, slows down to 70, slows down to 60, slows down to 50. At that point in time, it's like, okay, you know, I, I'm standing there waiting with my foot over the, over the brake, waiting, mm-hmm. to, waiting to do that and saw that it was something that could be done. Then when, you know, you get the line change process in, in regards to the same thing, same vehicle, you know, I start to swerve over and it corrects it back. Um, it's interesting to see exactly how that technology is playing out. Let it be a rumble seat or let it be the, the, mm-hmm. the, the actual uh, curving occurs. It's going to be a usage situation for most users. It's going to be something that they're going to have to basically get. They're just going to come with the vehicle. They didn't want it, but it came with the vehicle. They start to use it. Then they basically start to apply it. I don't think every single person is going to be driving uh, in one of those vehicles, fall asleep at the wheel and basically go through it. I also think it's pretty funny with some of the uh, of the big three in their current commercial in regards to what actually is executing. And I'm not sure clapping and singing at this point in time was part of that. But in general, if you start talking about this, it's the ability to check an email. It's the ability to do something as compared to completely taking your hands off and doing something else. So long and short, I think it's going to be the average consumer using the product and getting familiar with it that will then start to increase that adoption process. I don't think it's going to be an overnight switch. Um, yes. Millennials, maybe. Um, but at this point in time, you know, they're going to be more trusting, et cetera. But I think uh, those that have driven for a while, uh, those that like the rev of the engine, uh, those that like the control of the engine and like to take the curves a little little quick and, and those types of things, I think it's going to be a, a matter of usage. Thank you. Millennials, I think, are in their 40s already. They're accumulating a lot of wealth. They have positions of power and control and big corporations. They're innovating. It might even be the younger generations. Um, hands-free phones, that was the big cry, hue and cry for safety in the past, what, five, six, ten years. Use your phone, put it on a holder, put it on speaker, somehow manage to get it or have it connected to your car play. Anybody have any? Kelly, would you use? I have to go around the table. This is too, too creative. Kelly, anything you want to say to Tom? Would you use it right away or would it be a learning? No, I go back to my quote of trusting a strange computer. Yes. Um, And I've gone through the same experience um, with um, driver assist and that's sort of what the feature is. And um, when you go to full autonomy, it's a completely different game. And I think there's too many corner cases. That's what we call them in the industry, but it's those, Mm. those situations where the artificial intelligence and the sensors can't figure out what's going on. It could be just because the sensors aren't getting good information because the weather's bad or it's something strange that hasn't been recognized before. Maybe the infrastructure that it's seeing isn't 
quite right. Um, but it, it's still not making good decisions. And I don't know if we're going to talk about super con su superconductors today. Um, that's big news these days. Um, but with that sort of technology that's going to enable more computing, maybe we can get past some of those corner cases and situations faster than we thought. But uh, yeah, I still say I, I, I'm, I'm not going to trust full autonomy, but I appreciate that driver assist. To be seen. James or Jeremy, anything? No. Well, I've, I've tried uh, a variety of these systems, I would say, with mixed results. You know, sometimes I really wish to turn them off because they're just annoying or they don't work very well. Like even adaptive cruise control, there's many different ways they can that can be delivered, if you like, in terms of how it quickly it speeds up and how quickly it reacts. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, people will ultimately adopt these things, but uh, the driver is going to be charging people for these extra services, right? Because this is part of the monetization model that the vehicle manufacturers really have to leverage because making money, actually just making the cars and the batteries, especially when you move into electric vehicles, really hard to make money on those. So, you know, this is a great new future where they can charge people for experiences, right? That the, the, the car is no longer a piece of transportation to get you from A to B. It's an it is experience that transports you from one place to another. And at the end of which you go, wow, that was really great. And whatever that may be, the connectivity or uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the interior design, the features, the customization of it. There's all sorts of different aspects that they're looking at. And that's all going to be something that they'll want to charge extra for because that's where a lot of the money is going to be coming from in the future. Think of the opportunities for medical research if you're able to tap into the blood pressure and pulse of, right, of the mm -hmm. person trying it out and feeling, am I really I have the opportunity still to be in control if, Tom, it's not slowing down enough or changing lanes or getting too close to another car as I would drive if my hands were really working on that wheel and I was really in charge of this vehicle. Think of think of the research, uh, different age groups, different, different demographic cohorts, if you will, uh, thinking about who adopts this new technology, who adapts to it, who adopts it sooner rather than later, and what the emotional upside and downside are of telling people you can use this and it's safe. That's a whole show. Thank you very much. Let's go to Kelly. I'm looking at your prediction number two for today. This is interesting. Everybody's talking about the quiet, quiet, what was it? The quiet quitting and, and people not coming back to work yet. And, and how do we get from one place to another after the past few years of pandemic? Kelly's quote is her prediction is really interesting. She says, beyond Uber and Lyft moving consumers around, companies are also looking at how to more efficiently get their people to work and to attract employees who may struggle to commute for various reasons like traffic, owning a vehicle, lack of public transit to get to work. Here's what she, here's a kicker. She says they're emerging private bus as a service platforms. I'm going to stop there and let you finish it. Kelly, very interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, looking at life after Uber and Lyft, there are different modalities of, of moving around um, that we see emerging. Um, it could be like the type of vehicle, right? So a bus or a scooter, um, but also, you know, where it's happening and, and, and how it's being used. So, yeah, there are platforms where... Um, you know, they're able to efficiently um, have companies share buses, have employees book their seats, um, change the time, it gives it a little bit more flexibility of coming to and from work. It takes the commute 
out of the decision uh, of taking a job if it's a challenge for someone. So um, yeah, there's uh, several new startups out there that are, are gaining some traction with this model. So it's pretty interesting. Interesting. Can you tell us what cities or what countries they, we're seeing this already? Where is it being trialed? Uh, oh gosh, there's like, um, well, you can even see it actually here on the highways in California, um, but the company that we invested in is in Europe and, and they have, I think they're in 14 countries. I might be even low on that, but typically what happens is uh, a company adopts it for a location and everybody likes it so much that they say, hey, can we do it at our other plant in this other country? So um, it's really taking off quickly. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Anybody have any comments about uh, saving a seat on a bus and reserving places and companies getting vehicles to bring? What do you think? Jeremy, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Uh, it's an interesting idea. I mean, we now talk about mobility, right? This is the whole question. So it's no longer transportation. It's all about moving everything, moving people, moving goods, and making the whole world mobile as we have a mobile phone. And, uh, yeah, I think that there's sort of the question of the last mile, for example, how do you, you know, and smart parking, these are all things that are the part of the, uh, the equation as well. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, uh, but again, you have to get people used to using public transportation, you know, that's part of. Uh, but it's not public. Is. That's what's cool about it. Go ahead. Kelly, tell us a little more. How, how private will it be? Will it be small buses, big buses? Will it be 20 seats, 30 seats, 10 seats? Like a, a I think that's band? the thing that's cool about it is um, you can adapt the type of bus to where the demand is. And, and actually, because it's, you know, it might be a couple companies sharing a fleet or sharing a platform in a particular region. It's almost less well it's not public because it's not you know run or, or paid for by the by the government but um it's also sort of a known group on on the vehicle um at least uh, it's almost like carpooling in a way in my mind i wonder if masks will be required or optional whether <laughs> there will be things about whether you could bring your your taco lunch on, on board if you're bringing your lunch to work. We can see all kinds of sitcoms about this, Kelly. I, I have a feeling you and you and you <laughs> and Jeremy you and Jeremy are gonna write this one. I can't wait. Let's go to James Joe. I've got a good prediction you sent me for part two today. You say AI will increase safety in re recreational vehicle usage through next level predictive, environmental and situational analysis to assist with the driver in braking, in routes or routes, in speed and other aids. You have to unpack the technicalities in this for me. James, go ahead. Sure, appreciate that. Yeah, I see AI and even Bev coming in, into this space. Um, we've been primarily focused on you know, our, our main street vehicles, right? Uh, the four, four wheels, et cetera, but there are others. There are the RVs, there are the motorcycles, the ATVs. And there are safety concerns that we have in these recreational vehicles. And AI can will play a big part of it once the manufacturing side gets uh, adopting into this space. And in so doing, it'll bring a lot of transformational changes there too. For example, like in the RV space where, in fact, we are as a family looking at uh, renting out an RV. Um, to be honest, I'd like to get a Class A right, which is going to be pretty prohibitive for cost, but at the same time, it gives us the right space, yeah. but I don't have a license. I don't have the experience and confidence to drive a Class A v, uh, RV from multi-states. So having AI in that space will open up 
those kinds of avenues of transportation modes and also experiences that have been kind of excluded from my capabilities. So that's gonna bring in a lot of new feature functions. And as we move along, hopefully with more um, autonomous vehicles, et cetera, we'll have more time down the road to really flex in that space. In regards to two-wheelers, that's an exciting part as a former motorcyclist. I see that coming into place and, and converting that uh, um, industry to a point where motor vehicles and two wheels can be more accessible again. And if you look at it from not just a U.S. lens, but the global international side where uh, scooters and other vehicles of such are predominantly used for a uh, majority of their transportation modes, um, you can see how that safety measures can come into place. Inclusive would be AI touch base with V2V, V2I, V2X components to help you not only navigate, but also traffic and make sure that uh, safety measures are there. Obviously, there's less protection in that space, and AI can play a big part of that. James, for those who don't know what a Class A RV is, would you please define that? We want to let sure. that. If you've ever Go gone ahead. to a, a big concert or maybe even a Taylor Swift one recently, you'll see the big, uh, basically bus-looking like RVs that are basically, you know, decked out with multiple bedrooms, multiple floor plans. Um, obviously, you know, it's a step up from the ones that you see in the normal road. So. Those are the ones that are class A's mm -hmm. and uh, they even go into the more luxury side where you could have a Porsche built in underneath uh, one of the one of the ports. Yeah, we, we see them a lot in the world of motorsports. You know. That's right, Jeremy. <laughs> Interesting. Is in, that a separate? Field, go ahead, Tom, what were you saying? So the infields of stock cars are full. I think one of the things that, uh, James also brings up is interesting about the AI portion of the safety. And, and it's just started to show up as mainstream over the course of the last uh, probably three to four months. There's several large trucking organizations that have actually put LIDAR uh, cameras in their particular cabs with movie screens on the back of the actual trailer. So when a car is approaching the back of the trailer, it sees what the front driver is seeing in regards to it. So it allows for a more safety-based execution of a pass when you know what's coming at the, at the truck and what's in front of the truck as compared to getting out into the left-hand lane and then trying to go around it. So these are actually helping not only the traffic uh, of, the, of the truckers and redu reducing uh, accidents the truckers are having, but also what would be going on to other surrounding executions. So you start to put AI into that particular technology, all of a sudden you've got a safety uh, measure that's actually being applied to vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle conversations. Speaking of conversations, James, I want to know when the three of the rest of us, or the four rest of us here on the panel with you, when we can start booking reservations on your Class A RV, if it's got how many bedrooms and, and all kinds of luxury, if you're going to have a private chef, and what concerts you're going to take us to. James, when will when will that be open? I'd love to tell you that. I'm working <laughs> towards that uh, financial freedom to be able to get to that point, Bonnie. We're, we're waiting. I, I want to be on your invite list. Okay, thank you Absolutely. very much. And Kelly's going to get us there on a private bus car with uh, nobody eating something. <laughs> okay, Jeremy, I'm going to your prediction. Thank you all for your comments on that. Very interesting. Jeremy's new prediction is, and this is very interesting, car makers will use AI to develop a unique interior, quote, 
user experience to define their brand. Interesting about branding. What kind of unique interior? Jeremy, regale us, delight us, excite us. Go ahead. Well, the, yeah, it remains to be seen. But but it goes back to the point I was hinting at a little bit earlier that what actually in the vehicles of the future will be the key brand differentiators, what will be the difference between a Chevrolet and a Ford or a Volkswagen and a BMW. And the traditional ways of doing that, you know, as car guys growing up, you know, it would be all that's got this engine, it's got this transmission, it's got this exterior design, whatever, the, those sorts of features were the differentiators, right? Um, and uh, that's all going to kind of become homogenized, right? Because aerodynamics kind of dictate that most vehicles kind of look the same already, you know? I mean, I challenge most people to pick out uh, a compact SUV and say, oh, <laughs> You can tell immediately it's a Honda or a, a Toyota. They're very, very similar looking. So the differentiators will be what is the experience the moment you get in the vehicle to the moment you arrive at your destination. And anything that touches you touch or, you, or is touching you in that vehicle it, during that trip is going to be the definition of what the brand experience will be. And of course, in order to do that, it has to be able to can be customized to your particular needs and give you the satisfaction of being in in a world, mobile world, that is best, uh, most ideally suited to you. And then you become a customer. Interesting. I wonder if where a lot of people put money away for their children's education, college or whatever, if we're going to see people starting to, James and all of us, put away funding over a period of years to afford the, I'm just going to use the word elite. I don't know what else to say. High-end, uh, super customized automotive experience to which we aspire, whether it's for a retirement, whether it's for, for a new brand we're creating for ourselves, whether it's something we want to do just in our lifestyle. Interesting. James, is that something you would see people setting up special funding to say, I anticipate the cost of this vehicle will be XYZ in year, let's say, what are we in 2023 now, by 2030, and I'm going to start saving for it. James, what do you think? New savings bonds for future cars and buses? You know, I would still have a young 10-year-old who will be coming to that age probably by then. Um, but I, I think the, the market is shifting, right, with the demographics. And I think the technology to everybody on this panel have alluded to will bring significant changes. And I'm hoping that by that time, um, we'll see those fruitions come to place. And I believe that electric vehicles with AI will be more prevalent than it is today. One interesting part that you mentioned that I just want to touch base with and kind mm -hmm. of combine this is, I'd like to I'd like to see where companies take that biometrics um, integration with automotive and the AI, you know, handless or I guess hands-free driving, be able to tell when my son is driving in five to six years to understand basically, let's say, hey, um, I'd like to have the steering wheel facing me for just that last part or kind of tucked away, which is a technology that's coming onto place today and showcase based upon the routes that it's taking, some of the turns that it's taking, the speed and, you know, angles and stuff and see integrated with the biometrics to say, okay, my son is having a little bit of a heart, you know, heartbeats that go up a little bit. Maybe the next time the AI will adjust that process and try to, once again, try to bring that heartbeat down to show that it's tied to an anxiety, right? So 
maybe there's components thereof. And then in front, what Jeremy's mentioning with the integration part, I think my son is uh, still a Toyota guy for whatever reason. But at the same time, I do agree that down the road, the interior spaces and the AI components will start playing a big part of that, what he likes to see. Thank you very much. Very interesting. We might have a part three here in our future. I'm not sure, but I want to sneak in. We've got four minutes left. I want to sneak in one more prediction from Tom Madonna. Just briefly, Tom, you say ecosystem integration is here. Everyone wants to sell new services and subscriptions, but does the IoT, Internet of Things, and AI ownership need to be controlled? Ah, Tom, you got two minutes. What does this mean to you? And everybody's smiling. Go ahead. Yeah, I think this goes back to, you know, something that Jeremy said, and that is, you know, everyone's trying to make more money on the vehicle and the experience. Um, the question becomes, at which point does the control of that data and the control of that software become a consumer product, a manufacturing product, service product? There's new lawsuits out right now where service, uh, third-party service providers are now suing the OEMs of now won some of those lawsuits in regards to getting access to the buses and the information coming off so they can actually not have exclusive or unexclusive rights of actually uh, maintenance of the vehicles. I think the long and short of it is that data is going to be king. Question is going to be who owns it. Uh, that's another prediction I had that we didn't get to. Second is uh, at what point in time does a feature become uh, commonplace and therefore no longer has a subscription? I mean, if you look at uh, things like, you know, Sirius XM at this point in time, it was, you know, this dollar at one point in time, it's now gone down. Plus, you know, you're not getting charged for HD. So there's a lot of different things that are going to approach this. I think the last piece of this is control in regards to safety. You know, is this going to be a, a dot measurement in regards to the hands-free driving? Is this going to be a FDA piece in regards to biometrics, in regards to the execution? You know, somebody's going to step in and there's going to be a fight for what is data and what is control of that information coming off that vehicle and who has ownership of it can use it. Thank you very much. I want to do a quick round of predictions, personal predictions. We've got about two minutes left. Uh, Tom, I'm going to make you last because you just spoke. So, Kelly, you're first. Where do you see yourself in terms of automotive driving? Uh, it could be a prediction of what kind of car, what brand of car, or what size of car. Uh, by, let's see, we're 2023. By 2020, 2030, you're all young enough to predict that far out. I'm making that statement. So, where do you see yourself driving? We still have keys to a vehicle. And will you still be driving? And what will it be? A lot of questions, but real brief. Kelly, 30 seconds, go. You know, I've been toying with it even in the short term, but I think I'll be subscribing and uh, bumping around depending on the needs that I have. I, I see, I feel like I drive less and less, uh, but when I want to, I, it's always a different experience. Thank you. James Cho, what will you be doing 2030? Real fast. I think I'd definitely be going to a uh, smaller vehicle. Okay. Jeremy Byrne, what do you be driving? Or not. I was going to say exactly the same thing as Kelly. I think that that is the future. You pay a subscription, your monthly fee, you pick up whatever car you want for however long you need it. Perfect. Thank you. Tom Madonna, what do you be driving? Or I not? think I'll have a uh, ICE classic vehicle in the, in the garage for uh, weekend usage, and then I'll have a subscription or a or bed vehicle. 
All right. And I'm going to keep my, my Z4 in the garage because I only go to the supermarket once a week. It's four and a half minutes on the clock from my house to Food Lion and come back. I fill up with gas about once every four months because I really don't go anywhere, work from home. But what's interesting to me is that we had a six-hour power outage on Monday, and I discovered late in the day that I've got a wonderful lightning plug in the console of the car, and I was able to plug the lightning plug from my Mac studio here on my desk into the car, the little end on the other side, into my iPhone, and charge the iPhone without turning on the car or opening up the garage door manually. So my car is my charging port, and I'm keeping it, and there you go. And I do like to drive, even if it's only just a few miles. But you can all come come keep me company, and we'll go somewhere else. I want to thank so much the four of you. This has been delightful and informative. Tom, Madonna, Kelly, Lindsay, James, Joe, Jeremy, Byrne. And we have one thing, and my engineer, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. One more thing before we go. Everybody, raise your finger. Come on. We're going to do the no, no, no. Finger up. Everybody says the future is already here. On the count of three, we're going to say no, no, no. One, two, three. No, no, no. That's because that was yesterday's future or a 30 seconds ago future. The future isn't here yet. And we're all going to drive our best to make it a better one. Bonnie D out. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.